0: Welcome to the Preach and Persuade Podcast. My name is Sam Parada I'm here with Dan Rudman. We are on to our next episode in our series on revival. So, we started with kind of a, obviously, we started with just talking about the Asbury Revival kind of as a springboard launching point, but we're moving away from that. And then we talked about definitions, different definitions that theologians and scholars on revival and church historians have kind of developed over the years of, okay, what really is revival? And, you know, we kind of drilled down on this reality that revival is, is God's manifest presence showing up with his people and reviving them, bring them back to life in a sense. So it kind of has this idea of, okay, you were alive and you, you died or you, you started to backslide or something like that. And God, you know, showed up in a really unique and special way and did something amazing to his people. And out of that, we tend to think, see like an overflow of conversion with people. Maybe people in the community that thought they were Christians really weren't and they're converted. And then maybe non believers around them, you know, start getting converted because people are bold with their faith now and they're evangelizing. So there's all these blessings and effects that overflow that we see from revival. But yeah, we 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 talked about definitions. If you haven't listened to that that episode, go back. We we kind of went through the Old Testament a little bit and gave a couple of, of examples from the Old Testament of where we see a type of revival thing going on with 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 Israel, who at that point or you know, they were God's people. And in the new covenant community now, it's it's the church. Uh, but we, we looked at Samuel, you know, the, the state of Israel during the time of Samuel and, you know, it was still the time of the judges. There wasn't yet a king. Uh, we're close to it, but yeah, it was just a bad period and and, and through Samuel and, and some his praying and his work, you know, God brought this revival. And then we looked at Josiah, which is a really good example of, you know, Israel there is just totally wicked and far from God, transgressing the law. They don't even really know about the law. And then some People, as they're working on the temple, discover and uncover. They find the, the law. It's been hidden and, and lost for so many years. And, and then it's read to Josiah the king, and he just, you know, is just blown away. Like, what on earth? What have we been doing? We are under God's wrath. And so w- what we see from that, again, it has to do with the word of God, a reclamation of the truths of God, his promises, his law. And then there's this real effect of repentance and of a changed life. So for Josiah, it meant that hey, we gotta get rid of these idols. We gotta get rid of these altars. We gotta get rid of all this stuff that was consecrated and and you know to these idols and these false gods and just you know whatever. We got a clean house. So there's there's this real effect when a revival takes place. There's this real effect and and there's this real changed life and 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 piety and holiness and holy living and and that just tends to be the overflow of it. And it has to do with, again, prayer and the word. So now we're into the point where we're talking historically. Okay, what what are some examples historically of revival in the church? Again, we're thinking about the church age now. We're out of we're out of the scriptures. We're out of the first century. You know, we're looking into the church age, the last couple thousand years, and we're like, okay, where do we see where do we actually see an historical example of God reviving his people, of God doing some you know, unique, special work and, and just these really unique things that we don't see every day and we don't necessarily see every even century, but there are periods in church history where you go, okay, that was unique. Something's going on there. God is showing up in a very unique way. And we have these examples, these historical examples. And likely, maybe the, the hallmark, best kind of, Premier examples of of kind of revival things going on in the world with God's people is what we we would call them the first Great Awakening and the second Great Awakening and and even comparing those two awakenings is going to be really important. We're going to do that because we're gonna we're gonna spend this episode talking about the first Great Awakening and and kind of just give a historical overview of what is going on, you know, in the world. I mean, really, we're talking about the American colonies. Uh, we're talking about England. We're talking about Europe. Kind of that, That's kind of the, these, these areas that something was going on. God was moving in a special way, and that is the first Great Awakening. So we're going to be looking at figures like Jonathan Edwards, George Whitefield, the Wesleys, Charles and John. Uh, we're going to be thinking about the Moravians and, and, and Count Zinzendorf and, and all that type of stuff simultaneously kind of taking place. All these cool things. So that's that's what we're going to be talking about. Sure. I mean, you have any? That's just kind of an introduction. Anything to add to that before we kind of dive in? Dan? Well, it
1: might help people to realize that what we're talking about here, generally, just think 1730. Yeah. Give it to, a to the to the end of that century, yeah. 18th century. Yeah. So, you know, um, technically, we start thinking 1734 when they start thinking about these things under yeah. Edwards and this stuff. But yeah. um, again, just in general terms, just think 1730. To, uh, you know, to 1800. Yep. Yep. There's a 70-year period there. There's a couple of very intense times that that we'll talk about that seem like God did something very unique and powerful. And uh, we could call those uh, a revival. Some people would say within the second grade, or excuse me, first grade awakening is what we're talking about. Within that first grade awakening, there were these waves. Yep. Yep. If you want to say, think of it that way. And some people would say, well, there was the revival of that that three- or four-year period. And then, you know, and then, oh, then there was this three-year period. And then there was this two-year period. And that was all over that, again, 1730 to the late 1700s. So that's the only thing I would add right now,
0: yeah. Sam. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. So, okay, where are we going to start then? Let's We're going to so, try to be— Kind of the pre, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah a, a pre-context. What is, what's the spiritual state? Yep. Of the colonies, which is the spiritual state of England and Europe going on. Like, what's what's kind of the milieu where God decides to show up and do a special work? And you have some things, you know just some bullet points just kind of list like, yeah 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 yeah. Yeah. And read
1: some of those. yeah and you've been reading so you can yep. throw in there too but yeah there tended to be like as we we got to the end of the 17th century, so late 1600s yeah. i always have to think that through yeah early 1700s um there were a lot of um it, it's the people began to pray there been there was a movement uh to a degree a movement of prayer at least in um uh what's the word i want to use desire affection burden yeah. because they were watching the generation of their children walk away from the church right right and so parents were you know there was a lot of prayer going on um at this point we're not talking about what it looks like revival week and we're saying there's this desperation like we need god yeah we're in trouble yeah our kids are walking away from the faith and that was happening all over um there was a sense and yeah in my bullet points a dead orthodoxy mm-hmm. so there would be you know in especially in the colonies or even in england there was these um uh yeah dead orthodoxy you could have doctrine you could pass the test as yeah. i always say but there wasn't anything alive there yeah you know i always think of john 5:39 when jesus said to the pharisees you diligently study the scriptures because by them you think you possess eternal life but scriptures point to me and refuse to come to me to have life yeah yeah it's kind of like so People know knowledge, if you will, but it's not real. It's not experiential. Yep. So there's a coldness. There's an indifference. Um, one of the authors would have called it that. What we think of in scriptures—that form of godliness, but denying its power. Ah, yeah. You know that kind of idea. Children walking away. Um, I'm looking here at other other notes. Yeah, that's that's generally. I mean, you had, didn't you have some other thoughts? Well, yeah, were yeah, were I, people actually uh, financially in some ways? In in a good place, there prospering. Was, yeah, you're prospering, right? Pro- yeah, 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 absolutely. I yeah. mean, you got
0: this. You, I mean, think of the American colonies during that time. Like this new land, super mm-hmm. fertile. All this industry going on. Yeah. This development, urbanization, building cities. Right. I think of New York City, Boston. These, you know, okay. Philadelphia. Yeah. And you think about that. Just the, all that's going on at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And and yeah, there was this level of kind of material prosperity going on and we yeah. know we experience that today we realize right. like hey when in America when when you kind of when the things of the world like you, they're just so available to you you tend to like kind of drift away from the spiritual reality so that's going on I have a good quote though I want to read Yeah, uh, this is uh, from a book called The Rise of Evangelicalism and and the author is Mark Nolan he really says that that when we think about evangelicalism you know we're thinking about Sometimes it seems to be synonymous with Protestantism, but it kind of has this, this nuance of, okay, evangelical evangelism, these are people that, that preach the gospel, yeah. they, they have this view of conversion, like people are converted from death to life, uh, you know, this this kind of holy living, repentant life. Right. Those types of things kind of run in the, in the world of evangelicalism.
1: Obviously not Catholic, so yeah, Protestant. Yeah. And you could say, with the proper term right now, the proper way of thinking, an, an experiential Yep, experiential. Experiential Christianity. Yep. Yep. And we're not making light of that. Right. We're saying no, 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 no. Like like conversion really seems real and people. Right. Are, you have an experience, people conversion. are actually changed yep. and people walk away from sin and yep. and that was all this evangelical thing like no, 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 it's not just again a dead orthodoxy. It's right. not just passing the test. Right. It's it's like no, 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 I I have come to know Christ. I'm a, there's something alive here. Right. Right. So okay. he's Mark Knoll is making this argument in this book that evangelicalism
0: Basically, was birthed out of these the first Great Awakening. Really, yeah, oh, that's the first, interesting. You know, even two Great Awakenings. Like that's yeah. kind of where we start to see, and we'll get into this. And it kind of is 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 preceded by this this rise of Pietism. And we're gonna I'm gonna give some defining characteristics of Pietism here in just a second. But yep. this is what he says. This is from his book. Uh, I'm gonna quote him. He says, "The spiritual health of the English speaking world on the eve of the evangelical revivals has always been a subject of controversy." Debates over where spiritual life was decaying, where it was ripe for renewal, or where it was ticking along smoothly have never stopped since the first organized revivals of the 1730s. Once once self-conscious evangelical groups emerged, it was only to be expected that they would paint a dark picture of spiritual conditions before evangelical awakeners arrived on the scene. It came naturally to Jonathan Edwards, for instance, to describe the residents of Northampton, Massachusetts, before its remarkable revival of 1734 through 1735 as, quote, very insensible of the things of religion, end quote, and of experiencing, quote, a time of extraordinary extraordinary dullness in religion, end quote. Hmm. Similarly, evangelicals would later, quote, with approval, the judgment offered in 1736 by the Irish Bishop and philosopher, George Berkeley, that the realm was threatened by the impiety of its magistrates, which in turn was being communicated rapidly to the masses of its people. He says, George Berkeley, our prospect is very terrible and the symptoms grow strong every day. The youth born and brought up in wicked times, without any bias to good from early principle or instilled opinion, when they grow right, must be monsters indeed. And it is to be feared And the age of monsters is not far off. So really kind of thought their children were (laughs) growing up to be monsters. Mark Knoll continues the claim that spiritual life was flagging during the 18th century would be made in even stronger terms by proponents of the high church Oxford movement in the 1830s. But partisan judgments must not be allowed to frame the whole discussion. More impartial judges have concluded that the actual state of religion was not as decrepit as later evangelicals and Anglo-Catholics perceived it still even objective evaluators have recognized that confident religious life persuasive persuasive preaching of the gospel and effective christian pastoring were in relatively short supply during mm-hmm. the first decades of the 18th century
1: yep there you go so yep. early, early 1700s yep, again exactly yep, yep. so that that's i thought that was a great kind of capture of the content that is and that's what we're saying yep Exactly. Dullness, you know, Edwards would, was preaching What he called the, you know, what you think of the Old Testament uh, It was Ezekiel, the dry bones yeah. You know, there's, there's no life there Yeah, exactly Yep.
0: Okay, so that, that's kind of a, a context That's kind of the, the state of the world uh, The Western world, Europe, England uh, yep. and, and the colonies, the yep. American colonies yep. And what we would say then and We would make an observation, like, okay Yes, this is a condition That we would say is ripe Or ready For revival that needs some type of awakening, or renewal. Now we're gonna we're gonna kind of step backwards just for a moment. We could say that maybe the first, the first kind of revival type event or experience we might say was the Moravians with at Hernhund with Count Zinzendorf in Germany, yep. and that was 1727. Now preceding that though, we have to kind of give a, a background of what we would call the Pietistic movement, and Pietism was founded by Philip Jacob. S- Speener is that how you say it? yeah, yeah I, think, I think you actually do Speener yeah. Okay yeah Philip Jacob Spiner. and he lived in the mid 1700s and you know he 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 came out of this uh this context of the 30 years war in in central Europe and the 30 years war was just bloody bloody time in the in the early to mid uh uh 17th century so 1600s I think it was if I'm I don't have the dates off the top of my head. I think it's 1618 to 1638, though, was the Thirty Years' War. Thirty years. And it was bloody. It was bad. And it was fought between Protestant states and Catholic states. So by that time, you know, you're thinking post-Reformation. You're about a hundred about years, a century after, you know, Luther and, and all that was going on there. And, you know, you have now states in Europe that are, you know, we're Protestants. And you have others. No, we're still Catholic and they literally fought wars and killed each other and it was bad. So out of that again kind of that that phrase of dead orthodoxy came this pietistic movement. And I want to just give you just a couple a few characteristics of pietism and just see how how okay, this makes sense of why pietism can is kind of moving in the right direction as it pertains to the the recipe or stacking up the logs as you've used the the terminology before like okay, let's how do we stack up the firewood? Yeah. So we kind of of even allowing ourselves to even be, you know, visited by God in a unique way. Yeah. Yep, so yep. W- listen to these. These are, I think, yeah, six, six hallmarks or six elements or key,
1: key characteristics of pietism. And this, and specifically when we think of, uh, Hernhut, Counts, uh, Zinzendorf, von, von Zin, yeah, yeah, Zinzendorf. Um, is a pietistic Lutheranism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Technically, yeah, yeah right? exactly. Yeah. So this pietism can be used in other ways. Yeah, but, but here. We started we're, Lutheran. Yeah, we're starting with a Lutheranism, a pietistic Lutheranism. Yeah, like, yeah. You, know, you could almost say a very alive and serious yeah. Lutheranism.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah, so listen to these. Number one, characteristic number one, there must be a return to the scriptures. Hmm. For only in the Bible do we find the good news of the gospel and the rules for good works that pleases God. Hmm. Okay, so keep that in mind. Two, lay people must again take an active role in religious life. I'm quoting from Mark Noll again in his book. You should buy this book. Anybody who's listening, this is great.
1: What's the title again?
0: Uh, the Rise of Evangelicalism. Okay, good. Mark Knoll. Yep. Okay, so that's two. Lay people must take again take an active role in religious life. Yep. It's not just you know priests. It's not just your religious leaders. It's lay people. Think about like you know priesthood of all believers type thing. That was big in the Reformation, big with Luther. Key element of the Reformation and Protestantism. Three, Christians must move beyond mere acknowledgement of correct beliefs to lives of active godliness. Mm. So here's a quote. Who's this quote from? Uh, this is from Spener, I think. Um, Spener. <laughs> if we can awaken a fervent love among our Christians, first toward one another and then toward all men, and put this love into practice, practically all that we desire will be accomplished. So that's three. Characteristic number four, harsh religious controversies must be stopped and then replaced with, quote, a practice of heartfelt love toward all unbelievers and heretics. So maybe this idea like, hey, let's not just kill all these heretics, but let's actually love them. And obviously a part of that is sharing the truth with them and the gospel with them. Yep. Uh, Five, the ministry must be reserved for men who are, quote, are themselves true Christians. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That's so, that's so important. Like, think about that. Like, the people who lead us, who lead our churches, they, they have to be regenerated and actually saved. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and not just uh, place servers eager for power or prestige. Mm. Important. Number six, finally, students training for ministry should be well-versed in the practices of godliness and not merely trained to parrot theories of the spiritual life. Ooh. Isn't that interesting? Character. Yep. Character, conviction, calling. Yep. So that's pietism. That's like, that's this pietistic movement that started to swell up, you know, late, uh, mid to late 17th century. So, 16, you know, we're in the 1600s now. Right. And and so that was Philip Jacob Spiner. Yeah. He had a disciple named uh, August Franck. Yep. And Franck was was uh, he taught at this university of, is it, you know, pronounce it, Hale?
1: Yep, Hale. Hale. I think it's H-
0: H-A-L-L-E. H-A-L-L-E. Yep. Yep. And and again, this, this commitment that we need to equip these men to, he, yep. he was barely big on equipping men to be, you know, be able to get, <laughs> dig into the Hebrew, dig into wow. the Greek. Incredible. And out of that came this guy named Count, Ludwig von Zinzendorf. Yes, there you go. And this German guy. I mean, obviously, that's a, quite the German name.
1: Aristocracy.
0: Right? Yeah. Like he was a yeah. wealthy oh, yeah. guy. Yep, yeah. exactly. Aristocrat. And and so Spiner was one of his sponsors at his baptism. And so they were all connected. Now, that brings in what we would call the Moravians. Yeah. So there's persecution going on, still yep. Catholic persecution towards Protestants. And there's these groups, of of people from obviously Moravia and and uh, um, Bohemia. Bohemia, I, mean, I thought so. Yeah, yeah Bohemia. Yeah, yeah. and uh, they were there was this group, 1722 members of the Unity of the Brethren. They were part of the Unity of the Brethren from Moravia and Bohemia. They needed a place of refuge from persecution, right. and Zinzendorf took in these Moravians at his estate. And I'm not, I'm going to botch this name, but I think it's birth Dorf, Berth, <laughs> what a good grief. Anyway, that, that name, that, that place. And, and then on Zinzendorf's property, I mean, he had this amazing estate. They actually built kind of this community, this compound in a sense, this place to, to live and they called it Hernhut. And Hernhut, we would translate cool. that as the Lord's Watch. That's yeah. what they named
1: it. Yeah. And the, in the passage, they, they based kind of their, vision on was um yeah uh, Isaiah sixty two.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so then jump forward five years, seventeen twenty seven. You have a couple of people What that, year? What are we talking? We're now we're to seventeen twenty seven. Yep, right. That's that, yep. yep. So yep. you know they've been there for five years, established this Hernhut the Lord's watch. They have this vibrant community, you know, again these Moravians that have kind of adopted and embraced this pietistic Lutheranism. Yep. And and you have a couple of 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 individuals that are converted. And and then they have their first ever like communion service. So you're, you're at this communion service for these people who were converted. Yep. And then all of a sudden, it's what's called the Moravian Pentecost. Apparently, as the accounts say, the spirit showed up in a unique and special way and there was a type of revival yep. going on. Yep. And, and what that produced was this am- amazing uh, desire to reach the nations of the gospel. So out of that, that Moravian Pentecost at Hernhut in seventeen twenty seven, then Zinzendorf helped organize and send out Moravian missionaries all around the world. Yeah. And they just win. And they
1: impacted they went all over the world. Yeah. Even the United States. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was going on. That's seventeen twenty seven. Could I uh, yep. Talk about some of the firewood that was stacked up within the Perfect. Moravian community. Perfect. Yep. Let's you, do it. Did you have that? No. Go. There? Go for it. Okay. So they were preaching as yep. Lutherans, uh, preaching deeply on justification by faith. Yep. Um, uh, a great emphasis on prayer. Yep. Right. Uh, around the clock prayer meeting. Yep. Going on for a long time. In fact, some say it's still going on. Mm. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, a real emphasis on uh, small groups. In not in our modern sense, but a lot of confession, a lot of prayer, a lot of uh, personal growth. Yep, Think yep. of pietism again. There's this personal experiential growth. People are getting together. It isn't just once a week going to church, going home. It's, it's engaged during the week. Yeah, Prayer, confession, and you already nailed the missionary thing. Uh, it was a unified movement of what uh, uh, you could call Reformation theology. For sure. You know, I already touched on that, that uh, uh, above the justification by faith, but it was the whole reformational theological construct, you know, yeah. the, the solas. Yep. And um, and so um, some would call that, that's why Herrnhut, we're talking about it over in Germany. But as you already mentioned, Noel mentioned it, some would call it the roots of the evangelical movement that we are riding in today.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, very missional, very evangelistic, yeah. very. very Priest of all believers, type
0: of thing. Yep. Like, hey. Yep. Every Christian has a part. So that was
1: happening there, but they really did experience the sense of the presence of God coming there on those people.
0: Yep. Absolutely. And you go, okay, well, was well, was it real? Well, I tell you what, the the products, the the what came from it seems pretty real. People went all over the world to spread the gospel. They had a fire in their bones to to go do something. Yeah. And you go, okay, that actually happened. Yeah. There's no denying that.
1: Yeah, and you're again, you know, we don't have time on the podcast, but you could read history. And you know the descriptions of God's presence there amongst them, this this heaviness of conviction of sin, and clarity of conviction of sin, and and clarity of preaching, right? And clarity of you know this this prayer. Yeah. And again, those these were heavy things. These were you know doctrinal, heavy reformational preaching. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't shallow. It wasn't simple stuff. No. And um, and when when they sense the God's presence there, um, often. On the front end of that, it wasn't a joyful, uh, jumping up down worship kind of thing. Yeah, they were on their faces, feeling the weight of conviction of their sin. Yeah, like God's presence was so heavy there; it was a, it was almost fearful. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's good. That's good.
0: Okay, so unless you want to say
1: anything more about no, that, no, no, that that would be a key piece to this first very great key, awakening.
0: Because what we're going because like like we said, we're talking about you know key figures. Yep. Jonathan Edwards, George Whitefield, the Wesley's, we'll Moravians, right. And the Moravians come back into the picture with the Wesley's. Right. So
1: that so first yeah, so your first block of discussion is what we just discussed. Yep, exactly. Zinsendorf, Yep. Germans, Moravian or in Germany, the Moravians, Yep. and there's this early movement what we even of our evangelical movement and it comes out of this presence of God coming upon those people. So so again, 34, 35, 34, there's stuff going on up in Massachusetts, but there's stuff the uh, Moravians are in Georgia. Yep, our state of Georgia doing uh, missionary work amongst the Indians. Yep, and and uh, John Wesley's there. Yep, he came over here to do missionary work. Too. Well,
0: right. So you have a date, January twenty third, seventeen thirty five. A group of Moravians and a man named August Spanenberg. <laughs> call yep. these 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 German names. Good night. They just get me. Yeah, I think it's Spanenberg, Spineberg, or whatever. Yep. Sail they sail for Georgia. Yep. Yep. Seventeen thirty five, right. January. 23rd now interestingly at the about the exact same time as that uh 1735 in oxford england george whitfield
1: experienced his conversion right so this is really interesting and so did uh the pastor roland and uh yeah howell harris yeah. these are key players yeah. in england we'll yeah. come back to but all at the same literally i think it's almost the same date same month same time they all very interesting there's something happening yep okay so it's there's this movement again, Hearne Yep. They go to England. They get sent out from England, 1727-ish to early 1730s. Now they're being sent yep. out. Yep. Mid 30s are going to Georgia. Yep. And the Wesleys are are with them. Or John is. I don't know if Charles was. I think they
0: both went at first. Okay. I uh, see. Again, this is what this is church history. You get your you get your facts mixed up. Um, I'm pretty sure they both went at the at originally, and then Charles just couldn't do it. Burnt out. Okay, go ahead. And then, but then John too was having a hard time, and on the boat ride back from Georgia to go back to England, this is the this is really kind of an account of of John Wesley's conversion. He's he's, he's they're going through a storm. He's he's um afraid, fearful, mm-hmm. and these Moravians are just calm and, and and collected and trusting in the providence of God. And, and the key aspect of that really struck the Wesleys and struck John about the Moravians is these these Moravians, they really believe that you should and can have an assurance of your salvation. So that struck John. Like, they kept asking John Wesley, like, hey, do you do you actually believe you're saved? Like, you actually believe, you no, know you're going to heaven. Yeah. You know Jesus. Like, yeah, right. And he was just very hesitant to, like, say with a certainty, yes, I right. know the Lord, and I'm going to heaven. Right. He was kind of like, well, I hope he saved me, or I hope I am, or mm-hmm. kind of like that type of vague, like, I don't really know. I know he's Lord, but I don't really... Right. So they were really were pressing him on that, and he saw that faith in on display when they were on the ship back to England right. from Georgia, and they went through that storm, and it's like, okay, they really do believe they're going to heaven if they die.
1: Right. And really, behind that was the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Yep, exactly. That's, I mean, we, yep. You know, you're you're describing how it sounds, but yep. like no, this was the Moravians deeply believed what we said earlier. Yeah, conversion, justification you're, you're, no, by faith. You're saved. You're saved. You're justified. Yeah. You're declared. You're, you're declared righteous, and you can know this. It's a forensic reality. Yep. You're declared righteous by God. Yep.
0: yep. So they were pressing him on this, and it kind of got to the point to where, man, have I actually kind of experienced kind of back to that experiential aspect of it, like conversion. Right. And do I have that assurance from, you know, and John Wesley kind of maybe seems to imply that he was saved on that ship ride back to England
1: Yeah, right. by observing these Moravians. So it's interesting, right? So he's already doing missions work yep. with his brother. Very discouraged. And you're right. It wasn't going well. You're right. Things aren't going well. But it may be very much that he was doing this out of a sense of duty, whatever the conviction of duty is. Right. And, uh, but the fact was he might not truly have been regenerated Right. during that time. Right. Really? Truly. Truly. Really. and yep. so it's on the ship back that he has this encounter yep. with the Moravians, which leads him to have an encounter with God, likely. Yep. And so he goes back, and at that time now, which basically what you have is you have you know the Wesleys and Whitfield.
0: Do we want to jump over
1: to Edwards now? Well, we can pretty quickly. Yeah, that's the thing. And so all we want to say is that right now is that this movement called first, you know, when we say first great awakening and. There seems to be the same sense of what's going what was happening among Hernhood yeah. now starts spreading into all over all over England. Yeah. And 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 yes, time wise it's almost it's almost in the same time frame as Edwards. Yeah. And again, there's a couple you could almost say what happens in Edwards may happen just a step before what's actually happening in England. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it's so timing wise we're talking three, four, five years. Right. But the but the key word we wanted you to see here though is that in a podcast why we wanted to discuss this is that Wesleys were influenced by the Moravians. Yep. That's exactly. that's the only point. Yep. And then now God is starting to do something in England, and these key players, these these pastors, uh, Roland, who had an influence on Wesley and or on uh, Whitfield, I think, and then Howell Harris, yep. these different men are all all kind of came to know the Lord at the same time, yeah, in this same time frame, yep. And it seems like God is starting to do something, and they begin to preach, and all of a sudden, the same thing. There's this outpouring of a spirit, yep. But it's the same things we were talking about before. There's a very serious doctrinal preaching. These men are men, deep men of prayer and conviction. And it's not just that they are that. It really does seem like God, yeah. God is doing something. In fact, I, uh, a quote I had of that, which is very interesting, was the preaching. Preaching during this time, okay? I, I, it was a quote of a church historian, was um, the preaching has a divine authority about it that is not usual. Hmm. <laughs> I think I love that quote, preaching has a divine authority about it that is not usual, yeah, it's like when these men preached all of a sudden it was like great conviction, wow, great conviction, great sense of holiness, great sense of even you know truly a human response in 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 weeping and people on their faces, not just cranking something up, but yeah. like it really really was real, they sensed the presence of God, and they couldn't do nothing but like cry out for his mercy, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so so anyway, the point of this is just, again, this would be another wave of this, what we think of First Great Awakening. It's the later 1730s, but it is the same relative time frame that's going on in England. Yeah. So now we can step back and yeah, say North, North Hampton, 1934, Northampton, 1934. Massachusetts. And the key player here is... Jonathan Ed, Edwards. ...Edwards, and we'll... Gilbert Tenney was a Presbyterian down a little bit from there in yeah. uh, I think Pennsylvania uh, Philadelphia area I think but that's okay but no, yeah, go yeah. ahead go ahead yeah, yeah. with yeah. Edwards yep. so
0: okay you know we we kind of gave this context of what's going on just broadly speaking in the colonies and in Europe kind of this dullness and yep. dead orthodoxy and You know, kind of a return to... And keep in mind, too, like, this is the rise of the Enlightenment. This is the Enlightenment period. I mean, this is French philosophy. This is
1: Rousseau. This is like... Well, French Revolution is going on at the same time. Yeah, very intriguing. So, I mean, think about that. And if you don't know about French Revolution, think of the height of humanism. Yeah. You know, we don't need God. We've got this solved. Yep. And you got this French Revolution.
0: And even think, like, a lot of historians even connect Marxist ide- ideology to the French Revolution. Well, there's a lot, yeah. I mean, it's just so fascinating to study right. this. We can't get into all that right now. But nonetheless, there's this real, even just shift in worldview and and all of that going on in this time in the world. Very fascinating. Like yep. one of the most, this is the rise of modernism. This is the rise of <laughs> modern theology, modern <clears throat> thinking, materialism. You know, not not long after, you're going to have Darwin and and he's going to give it, Okay, I, I don't need to go down that track, but again, all this is happening. So, so there's this desperation, and Dan talked about that. This, there's this desperation with people. So the months preceding this revival that took place with Edwards, uh, and he's been pastoring, I want to say, about five years in this church. He took it over from his father-in-law in Northampton, Massachusetts. And, and Noel says that there's, there's five th- kind of things going on in the months preceding this revival. A cyclical return of Puritan seriousness among the lady, Special interest by the town's youth in religion. Untimely deaths of two well-regarded young adults. So this is in this community now. This is very localized. Northampton. Yep, Northampton. Massachusetts. Unusual concern for religion in the nearby settlement of Pascomunk. I think I said that right. Pascomunk. Uh, and five earnest labors of Northampton's, again, 31-year-old pastor, Jonathan Edwards. So that was what was going on in the months preceding. Now, Edwards, he preached uh, against uh, special providences, which is this idea that God shows up once in a while to do a special miracle or work. You know, it kind of sounds like revival, but rather Edwards preached that God is through all, in all, and that he is constantly and actively upholding the world, he is in the ordinary things of nature. So that was a big emphasis of Edward's ministry and sermons at that time. Like, no, God is actively working right now. You kind of think of like these these ordinary means of grace. Like, that's how God works. Uh, He stressed that God could be known. But he was also concerned with uh, what he would consider to be a really dangerous theology, which is Arminianism. And you know, you know, if you've listened to this podcast in any detail, like I, I ha also have a special concern for the theology of Arminianism. Uh, I don't think it's biblical, and it's it's not good. It it puts this emphasis on the individual to do something in order to, you know, receive forgiveness of sins and conversion. Like you, you do something, you have the power to re- repent and believe. Mm-hmm. And Edwards is like, that's not right. Justification, conversion, is a sovereign work of the Lord. And we call it in theological terms, monergism. Mono, one. God is the only active agent in, in somebody's justification. Yeah, It's entirely a work of him. Yeah. So what did Edwards do? Because he's so concerned about the Sarminian theology in his community, he preaches a two-part sermon series on justification by faith alone, which is a Reformation doctrine. This is this is Luther. This is Calvin. Right. This is this is Knox. This is these guys. Like this right. is their, uh, I mean, uh, Zwingli. Like this is the heartbeat of Reformation theology. Right. Justification by faith alone. A forensic righteousness imputed to you by faith in Christ. And Christ is the one. The Spirit is the one that gives you this faith. So he preaches his two-part sermon series on justification by faith alone. And then here's a quote from Edwards as he's describing what happened all seemed to be seized with a deep concern about this eternal salvation, about their eternal salvation. All the talk in all companies and upon occasions was upon the things of religion and no other talk was anywhere relished. And scarcely a single person in the whole town was left unconcerned about the great things of the eternal world. Those that were most disposed to condemn vital and experimental religion and those that had the greatest conceit of their own reason the highest families in the town and the oldest persons in the town and many little children were affected remarkably. No one family that I know of and scarcely a person has been exempt. Hmm. So Northampton kind of surrounding area, I mean it as Edwards describes it, I mean it hit
1: everybody. yeah, this was 1934 now.
0: yep yep 1934. yep. So in response to that what Edwards did then, he's his he's his pastor and he he's seen this take place in front of his eyes and so in response what do you go okay we gotta we gotta do something so what he did is he organized all these small groups uh, according to age and gender to encourage godly living okay we got all these people responding being revived yeah being awakened to spiritual realities and and to a holy life so let's let's uh set up these small groups according to gender and age and and kind of have each other encourage each other to yep. to live a holy life so that that was kind of that was a big spark that was a revival that took place in northampton yeah. in 1734 so
1: this is i'm reading about the young people yep um this is a quote in all the companies this is of edwards is writing this yeah in all companies on other days or whatever occasions persons met together so whenever they got together yep Pretty wordy for old english right yeah, yeah, yeah basically means whenever they got together christ was to be heard of and seen in the midst of them yeah our young people when they met were wont to spend the time in talking of the excellency and dying love of jesus christ the glory of the way of salvation the wonderful free and sovereign grace of god his glorious work and the conversion of a soul and the truth and certainty of the great things of the god's word yeah so when the youth got together I mean, they couldn't stop talking yeah. about these great things of Christ. Yeah, this That's... is what this is what Noel says. He says, In the towns touched by
0: the revival, unusual concern, concord prevailed. Young people gathered to talk about Christ. Scripture was right. exalted. Preaching was attended with a remarkable diligence, and people received vivid images of Jesus offering his blood for their sins. In all, about 25 communities throughout western Massachusetts and central Connecticut experienced in some measure what Edwards witnessed personally in Northampton revival intensity which began to decline in the spring of 1735 recalled earlier puritan awakenings but this stir was more widely spread more intense and more out of out of the control of the ministers so yeah I was going 25 communities kind of ex- around that experienced connecticut massachusetts experienced something like what edwards experienced in his own church in his own commu- community of yeah. northampton yeah,
1: yeah. so yeah. it was Something was going on. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah. mean, wow. <laughs> so so the same sort of things. There was this great uh, doctrinal preaching going on. Right. We can give you numerous examples of that. Uh, this this heavy doctrinal reformational preaching. Yep. Uh, then there was this great conviction of sin that was spreading. In fact, I have another quote here. This is by David Brainerd. Oh, yeah, that's good. Uh, who uh, uh, Mac Tomlinson recently wrote. Uh, biography. Yeah. And we, we want to maybe Brian. try to have an interview with him about that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and So it's at, uh, Refor, uh, What uh, how do you pronounce it? Refer, uh, Reformation Heritage. Reformation Heritage. They've published the book, yeah, and so yeah. it's available. But it talks about David Brainerd and his brother, what was his brother? John. John Brainerd. And this great work. But listen to it. this is what happened amongst the the uh, Susquehanna, Susquehanna Indians in North America when David Brainerd was there. Mm-hmm. During the same time period, I stood amazed at the influence which seized the audience almost universally and could compare it to nothing more aptly than the irresistible force of a mighty torrent or a swelling deluge that with its unsupportable weight and pressure bears down and sweeps before it whatever it is in its way Mm. almost all the persons of all ages were bowed down with concern together see great conviction and scarce was one able to withstand the shock of this surprising operation old men and women who had been drunken wretches for many years and some little children not more than six or seven appeared in distress for their souls as well as persons of middle age Mm. It was apparent these children, some of them at least, were not merely frightened with seeing general concern, but were made sensible of their danger, the badness of their hearts, and their misery without crisis. Some of them expressed it. The most stubborn hearts were now obliged to bow. Wow. <clears throat> so again, they're preaching these doctrinal messages. And uh, and I've heard other accounts where sometimes you know they would preach these in places and it didn't seem like there was an effect. Yeah. So it wasn't something, if I could use the word, I hate to, I don't want to minimize Some formulaic Yeah, there was formulaic or some magic to it, but they're preaching these doctrines. And then all of a sudden, like stacking firewood yeah. word, we keep saying it's a sovereign act of God that all of a sudden he attends that. He, yeah. he like sends down this fire on this firewood. And it becomes this deep, deep uh, conviction of sin. Right, uh, right. And, and it's something you can't crank up. Right. Okay, so get this. This is a really interesting timeline now. Okay, yeah.
0: so you have that. that That's kind of sparked Edwards, 1734. 1734, now, 35, right? Yep. yep. Now, May—I'm reading off my notes here. May 30th, 1735, Edwards writes a letter to Benjamin Coleman, a minister of a congregational church in Boston, describing the revival. So he writes this letter, May 30th. Before he sends it off to Coleman, Edwards' uncle, Joseph Hawley, cut his throat and commits suicide. And his suicide actually quenched the revival enthusiasm in Northampton. So that's just so interesting. Like, okay, you have this spark of revival going on, 1734. By May 30th, 1735, Edwards writes this letter describing what's going on. He's going to send it to the guy of Coleman in Boston. And, and then his uncle commits suicide. And that suicide starts to quench it, at least in that area. Mm-hmm. Um now, the, the the letter eventually reached Coleman in July of 1735, so a couple months later. Coleman copied it as an addendum to a letter he was writing to a guy named John Guise, an independent minister in London. Now, in London, Guise uh, shared it with a guy that is a famous name, Isaac Watts. So, Watts then reads this letter. Mm-hmm. From Edwards describing this, and think about like the time period here. You got a letter that Edwards writes May thirtieth, seventeen thirty five. A mm-hmm. couple months later, gets to the, you know Coleman in, in Boston, and then and then he puts it as an addendum on his letter yeah. to a guy in in England. Think about how long it takes, you know, ship all that stuff to get to England. Eventually, it's given to Isaac Watts, and he um, really shares it with his congregation. Yeah, and reads it to them, and and. Now these people in England were so moved by this description of what what Edward's experienced and, and witnessed uh, that they wanted Edwards to give a fuller account. Okay, this was just a short, brief letter. Unpack it for us, please. Like, like, write a book about this. Give us the all the juicy details. We are like jazzed up about this. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Um, now, so in October of 1737. So a couple of years later, now, right, uh, guys in Watts published in England. So it was published in London. This this book that Edwards wrote, and it's it's his, his full account, and it's called. Uh, it's a long title. As is common with those Puritan types, I mean, man, they make long titles. It's called yeah. a faithful narrative of the surprising work of God in the conversion of many hundred souls in Northampton. In the neighboring towns and villages of New Hampshire and New England. Right. So now, what's really interesting about this book, which is this the fuller account of that revival in 1730? This is one of two works of Edwards that has never gone unpublished. It's been it's been continually published since that
1: original date right. in 1737. And by the way, when he talks about this conversion of all these souls, um, the numbers look like within his congregation, in about a six month period, there were 300 salvations. Sure sure looked legitimate yeah 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 okay it's amazing yeah
0: so that that that's amazing think about that how how you know over the course of a couple years you're getting these kind of exchanges back and forth through letters from england to to Uh the colonies in america describing what's taking place and there's some things going on in england and revivals going on there and all this kind of seems to be interconnected and it's really quite amazing and Mm -hmm. unique and like whoa even then, you know, before the internet, like word was getting around. <laughs> it took a little bit longer, but word yeah. was getting around, and people yep. were encouraged. And there was these overlapping experiences going on. So that's just really fascinating, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, and this this would be the time frame then too, as we, we we were saying, however we did our podcast here. Like we want I wanted to camp with the Moravians, but technically then it's later seventeen hundreds or 1730s. I think it's actually 1738, eight-ish, yep. that uh, Wesley is back, going back on that ship. Yeah. Okay. And John Wesley. And, and this letter came over from Edwards. And there's these stirrings, and the revival begins to affect the UK. Yep. And so that's kind of late 1730s is what we're talking mm-hmm. about here. Okay. So, again, there's this um, sense of the presence of God. There's this sense of... Uh, uh, conviction of sin and holiness. One of the things I was looking at. Another quote uh, Edwards said it was very interesting. It was just a simple. It was just a simple thing. Jonathan has commented that one effect of their revival is to bring sinners immediately to quit their sinful practices. Yeah, see, that's that, that's just rings of Josiah. Oh yeah. They, like, And we we had said this earlier when we were trying to be cautious. We really were trying to be careful about critiquing current things happening in yeah. our contemporary world. But one of the things you saw both biblically and then in, in historically in these awakenings is people really turned from their sinful practices. Yeah. They, in fact, in many cases, publicly confessing them. Yeah. And that's been the question about these current stirrings when people say, well, we have a love for each other and we're singing songs and we love the Lord. We're saying, okay, that's good. But some of these people are you leaving sinful practices? Yeah, not just saying certain you know uh, you know we love Jesus, which is great. But like, are we turning from our sinful practices? Right. And then you have to start thinking about sinful practices amongst a given people yeah. in a given place. Yeah. And we have you know we have the 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 sexual issues. We have the identity issues. Yep. We have uh, uh, really truly at the bottom end, it's Marxism which is a Christian heresy that's permeated in critical theory, you know, what we saw with the Black Lives Matter, yeah. what we see with the white supremacy, what we see with uh, identity politics, uh, the whole uh, you know, uh, white supremacy issue. All of these discussions at their root have, these, have this sinfulness. And so you begin to have this question in our current culture, if revival has come, are people turning away from these things? Again, we talked about it a few podcasts ago. We called it uh, Alyssa Childress, yeah. which I, I like how she calls it, because it's, it's a term I use too. This cultural zeitgeist is what she's talking yeah, about. Yeah. This whole milieu that's not a Christian construct. Right. And, and much of the church has adopted it in various forms and to various shapes. And it's like, are people actually repenting of that now? Mm. I mean, they need to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if truly the presence of God shows up, people are going to turn from this stuff. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They're going to have to because that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? Yep. And so that's where we start having this. We want again. We're trying to be really cautious. We really are. I think if people were listening back to our podcast, but we're asking these questions. And so during that time, um, maybe I'm getting ahead of it, but there was just a lot going on here. And during the, the in New England. Right. and in the states then spread down to the you know the lower states when you think of gilbert tenney was another one of these things right. he believed there was um, <coughs> um, 10% of the american population was saved during that time right. and again how do you qu- uh, qualify all that but there were there were these numbers uh, 10% of all the colonies, people in the colonies were converted. There were actually 200 churches planted in a very short period of time. Yeah. And these weren't programs. These right. weren't somebody saying, oh, we need to prove something. It was just happening. Yeah, Lots of people were going, uh, leaving, uh, going, young people were going into Christian uh, ministry. Mm. You know, uh, I think Yale, I can't, don't quote me on this, I think Yale, half the student body decided to go into ministry mm. as a result of this. Yeah. All the same time frame. Yeah. Same thing going yeah. on. So,
0: So I have a, I'm going to read a, Kind of an extensive quote from Mark Knoll because he just has, puts it in such a, a good way. Okay. Now, I'm going to try to, I think this quote here is going to kind of tie in all the threads. Okay. And tie in the Wesleys, Whitfield, even, yeah. and Edwards kind of going on. And this is this is an overview of what was taking place in se- 1736 to 1737, primarily in, in England, Wales, and New England. Okay. So good. kind yeah. of tie yeah. them all together. Right. Tie it. Okay. Sure. Okay. So, yeah. okay. This is what Mark Knoll says. And some of this is going to be review, but I think it brings it together good. So during early 1736, while Jonathan Edwards was preparing his extended account of Northampton's awakening and the Wesleys were struggling to establish a foothold for ministry in Georgia, evangelical renewal continued apace in other locales. When Howell Harris extended his itinerations as lay lay exhorter, he began to receive favorable notice from a few Welsh dissenters, especially Baptists. In May, he traveled to Landauer for a visit with Griffith Griffith Jones, who promptly took the young enthusiast under his wing. Shortly thereafter, Harris began to set up small group meetings. The first one at Trevecca was was in place by seven excuse me, man, I can't read, was in place by September 1736, and within three years, 30 more societies were in operation. Mm. In December, Harris was also reading A.H. Franks' account, again, of the Hale Pietists uh, had set up also, excuse me, in December, Harris was also reading A.H. Franks' account of how the Hale Pietists had set up almost Houses and other institutions to assist the poor. On June twentieth, seventeen thirty-six, George Whitfield was ordained deacon by the Bishop of Gloucester. Is that how you say that? (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Martin Benson, who was measurably less hostile to fervent piety than many of his fellow bishops, the next Sunday, June twenty-seventh, Whitfield preached his first sermon, which Whitfield himself reported was well received. A result he surmised from his experience with while an Oxford undergraduate in preaching to prisoners and exhorting his friends in the Holy Club. In Whitfield's characteristic mixture of ego and diffidence, he reported, quote, I trust I was enabled to speak with some degree of gospel authority. Some few mocked, but most for the present seemed struck, and I have since heard that a complaint has been made to the bishop that I drove fifteen mad the first sermon end quote <laughs> 15 man, huh? yep. Six weeks later, on August 8th, Whitfield journeyed to London for his first sermon in the metropolis, where he continued for two months in a series of temporary assignments. Still later in the year, he took a stint of preaching for a friend at a rural parish in Hampshire. From the beginning, Whitfield drew large crowds and attentive listeners. yet, like so many others in his circle, he was at the sea about permanent prospects. When, therefore, letters began to arrive from the Wesleys in Georgia about the need for more workers in, the, in that remote corner of the empire, Whitfield was interested. Toward the end of 1736, he received an especially urgent letter from John Wesley who described a situation where, quote, the harvest is great and the laborers so few, end quote, and then inquired directly, quote, what if thou art the man, Mr. Whitfield, end quote, to supply this need? In December, Whitfield resolved to answer Wesley's summons and go to Georgia. Shortly before Whitfield made that decision, Jonathan Edwards finished the full account of the earlier Northampton revivals and dispatched his manuscript to Benjamin Coleman. Coleman immediately extracted from it an 18 page abridgment that he uh, uh, appended to two sermons. Just then, going to the pointer from Edward's uncle William Williams, <laughs> what a name, William Williams of Hartfield, Massachusetts, which this veteran pastor had preached around the time of the 1734 and 1735 awakening. As soon as this work was published, Coleman sent a copy to Isaac Watts, who wrote back by return packet in February, February 1737 and then again in April, requesting Edward's full manuscript so that he could publish it in London. As this transatlantic exchange was beginning in December 1736, the dejected and defeated Charles Wesley arrived back in London less than a month later. In January 1737, Count Zinzendorf also showed up in that city. Within days, he was talking to Isaac Watts, Charles Wesley, and several more about his own vision for the missionary work of the Moravians. So just think about that. I'll just stop there, but think about how Zinzendorf, the Wesleys, Whitfield, Edwards, they're all... Isaac Watts, yeah. this Coleman guy. I mean, they're they're all meeting up. They're all yeah, yeah. cross pollinating. Yeah, it's That's like what this, was happening. All it's the incredible, same time.
1: right? And so in 1739, then is when Whitfield came to the United States here. Yep, and yep. And then preach. he did his tours. Right. And, and right. Then, so. It's an extraordinary time now. You know, it wasn't without difficulty. You heard even right. that quote you were just saying with Whitfield. Uh, one of the things I found striking is that it wasn't like everybody liked what they were doing. No, it wasn't like everybody were glowing and going, "Wow, aren't these guys wonderful?" I mean, right. Whitfield people threw you know, yeah, you know, stuff at rotten, them. rotten tomatoes yeah. at them, all yeah. sorts of crazy stuff. These guys received a lot of uh, backlash, a yep. lot of you could say persecution, difficulty. Yep. Uh, but God gave them a courageousness, and they saw a lot of things happen. It was amazing. The other thing that was really remarkable during that time, there was a, there was a division. Um, Whitfield, you know, as much as they were all cross-pollinating, they're all friends. Yep. And my understanding is at the end of their life, was it uh, Whitfield preached at Wesley's funeral or vice versa? I don't remember. Right. Um, but uh, they disagreed theologically. Yeah. The Westlands uh. went down an Arminian road Yep. there in England. Yep. And uh, Whitfield and Calvinist, First, and Edwards, uh, Edwards Calvinist. yep, or Calvinist, Reformed Calvinist. Yep. They, they, no, 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 we're not going down that road, right? And so, um, there was, there was division in this, right? Some division and conflict, like there is, and and so God uses you know, regular, everyday people, yep, who stick to the scriptures, the authority of scriptures, and stick to the preaching of the gospel. Uh, these major doctrines and, and it seems like there's this wood that's stacked up Yep. again that's the metaphor I don't know I picked it up in my life from somebody I'm sure uh, and uh, and it seems to me that's what we focus on that's what we concentrate on mm-hmm. you know doctrinal preaching prayer uh, calling people to turn from their sin mm-hmm. asking God to mm-hmm. bring conviction of sin mm-hmm. which is really interesting Sam you and I were on the campus yesterday you know we didn't get a lot of great conversations yesterday but we have other times and you realize like we can't um, God uses means he uses vehicles meaning preachers and people but the first doorway to salvation really is conviction of sin and only yeah. God can do that yeah like, I can't I mean that's that's the work of the Holy Spirit yeah right it's regeneration yep right exactly and so and Paul even says that to the th- yeah. And so means. when we even talk about revival, sort of on a—we're we're basically saying a similar thing to this supernatural work that's really a miracle of salvation. Right. We're saying on a corporate level, on it's this kind of massive mad. level, God's presence shows up on a whole bunch of people in right. a place. Right, And brings incredible work. Right. And there was real conviction, a real sense of holiness, real sense of pursuing God, real salvation. Mm-hmm. And man who wouldn't who wouldn't want that right <laughs> exactly, you know, when we think
0: about the the context we're like, man, that kind of sounds like today, even,
1: yeah, we long for that right, yeah, yeah, we do, you know, we go and we see you know we we talk about it in uh you know Lawrence, Kansas, where I live, you know uh the ministry there uh we're still called to do ministry, but it's it, it, it's I dark. tell people it's it's like plowing concrete, yeah, you know we've seen I've seen some cool conversion stories in my lifetime every twenty five years of working in Lawrence, Kansas, but it's not every day, right, it's just not right. I mean, And you realize if God doesn't show up here, God doesn't do this. Yeah. So we just labor. I mean, you can't make it happen. You can't turn it into, you know, my term, dog and pony show. Right. But we can sure keep preaching these key things and pressing and asking God and doing our part, right? Yep. Yeah.
0: Well, I think we're about
1: at an hour now. I thought that
0: was a really good overview of First Great Awakening. Yeah, I think so. I mean, yeah. Real revivals taking place. Yep. Different places. Yep. Kind of simultaneously, yep. God was doing something.
1: Yeah, and so uh, rename that book to, again. I'm right. telling you, if people want to read about this, there's a few different books. There's one, A Good One by Brian Edwards. Yep, a Revival. and you from that. Yeah, yeah. just yep. Revival of People Saturated right, by God or with Saturated by God. What's he say here? A People Saturated with God, Revival. Okay. That's by Brian Edwards. Good book. Yep. You know, that's a really good overview. Yep. Lots of good good doctrine. Lots of good stuff in there. And then the one you said again, Mark Knowles.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's just uh, it's just uh, the rise of evangelicalism. So it's yep. just a church, kind of a church history book. Yep. But he's giving the history of
1: of that first Great Awakening. Yep. And then it's an amazing. An, and then another one would be um, if you're interested on campuses, it's an easy read if you can find it. Yep. I don't know if they've reprinted it. Last I knew, it wasn't. But I found a bunch of copies floating around out there. It's called When God Walked on Campus. Right. And it was right. a review of evangelical awakenings on campuses. Yep. And
0: Ian Murray has a famous book on revival. Uh,
1: Martin Lloyd Jones has a book on revival. Yep. So those are just classics.
0: Those I'm good, not and not then and
1: revival. we you know we failed to mention in uh, 1746 then. Um, uh, Edwards did write kind of his classic work that's been around Religious Affections Religious Affections which was a really theological doctrine. Yeah, so this
0: is a really interesting thing because okay he's experienced all this Yeah, so think 1734 to 1746 so a decade now Yeah, yeah So what he saw was post these revivals you know, he sees all these people come into the Lord and he sees all this conversion even Yeah And then, you know many people stuck with it it was legitimate but some didn't Yeah and fell away. Two, three months, six months later, they're they're back living their old life. So he goes, okay, what, what is the mark? What is the really like kind of yep. if you're to boil it down? How do you like what? Yeah. How do you know who's converted or not? And he writes this big theological treatise on religious affections. If you boil it down, it's this, it's this true like love, affection for Christ. It is. It's this affection for him. You love him. You want yeah. him. Yeah,
1: yeah. People ask. You know, it's interesting. Our podcast isn't all about that today, but. Yeah. I get asked, you know, you know, the, if you want to say not just assurance, salvation, but how you know if somebody's really saved. Yeah. And I think I think what you go to is you do go to when, when Jesus says, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and yep. the second commandment's like it. Yep. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. As, your, as yourself. And you say, what is that? It's an affection. It's an affection. I, a person who's truly been born again is a person that finds within them a love yeah. for God. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore, truly... They grieve over their sin even. That's, that's a huge part of it. They, like they, feel they see sin. their sin. They feel this like oh, sorrow,
0: this disgust, this frustration. Of their, of God, their own sin. I, you know, I, I wish I could be more holy. Yes.
1: That's real. It's real. And so so it's a real. It's an affection. Oh, yeah. I and mean, I'm not afraid to talk about that. Yeah. You know, again, in a day, like we, you and I are big guys, believers in truth, right? Yep. But people, you know, you if you hope you listen to us long enough, of course we believe in doctrinal truth. I can't, you can't remove right. that. right. But there truly is an existential, right. if you want to use that word, an experiential part yep. of a man or woman who meets God. Yeah. I mean, it, it's real. Yeah. Like, you you encounter that. Yeah. And uh, it's an affection. It changes who you are. Right. And, you know, we give all sorts of Bible verses about that. We don't need to today. But when we're talking about true heaven-sent revival, spiritual awakening, people encounter the presence of God, and they walk away as different people. Right. And, and and that's the thing we have to say about some of this latest fervor that's happened on some of the campuses in our country. We're just saying, in some ways, you can't evaluate it for a period of time. You watch what's happened with these people, what's, yep. what's truly happened with them. Yep. In the moment, there's you know there's questions. Uh, when you know we've already talked about that, but you know, are they turning from their sin? Are they are they different people today? Are they pursuing holiness? Right. You know, and you could too. Another book you can Edwards's book,
0: the faithful narrative of what happened. It's still in print. Yeah, go buy it. Read it firsthand of what how he describes it. You can do that. Yeah. So that other book, you know, the two books that have never gone out of print, you know, the 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 diary of David Brainerd, that Edwards wrote after David Brainerd died, and he published his journal, and then this faithful narrative. The two yeah. books that have never gone out of print. It's amazing. Yeah. Yep. Just just think just how that communicates. These are classics. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> yep. So we'll end it there. Thanks again for listening to the preach and persuade podcast would really like if you would uh, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or whatever you listen to the podcast on or even uh, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Um, You can visit our website at afci.us and just learn about our ministry that we do as evangelists with Ambassadors of Christ. Uh, We're going to be getting a new website here that's going to be launching in about a month, so keep your eye out for that. That'll be cool. We're excited about that. You can make donations on that site too to our ministry or whatever. But just again, thanks for listening, and if you enjoy it, share it with a friend. Uh, that would be awesome. So tune in, though, to the next episode when we're going to talk about the Second Great Awakening. And this is going to be interesting because we're going to start to do some comparison because there's something going on in the Second Great Awakening that might be a little wonky. <laughs> and and theologically, comparing the two is very, very interesting. And even within the Second Great Awakening, comparing two ministers that we're going to do, uh, Asahel Nettleton and... My a, hero. Yep, and Finney. So tune into that one. That'll be, that'll be a really interesting discussion. But... Thanks again for listening. Have a good day. Bye.